everyone, I'm your host, Emily Watt, and I'm the head of innovation for BP's trading and shipping business. Welcome to our fifth episode in the Innovator Chronicle series, where we interview innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup founders who've had the courage to go with the conviction of their ideas, sharing their experiences, personal journeys, industry views, and visions for the future. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Justin Lewis, VP of Incubation at BP. Justin, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. Justin, you've been all of the above that I ran through in my intro. You have been an innovator, an entrepreneur, a startup founder, plus you are an engineer and you're a gamer, which I love learning about. You've got some pretty amazing achievements under your belt from founding two software companies as a student to working on secret projects at Tesla and becoming a prolific inventor at Google. So can you walk us through a bit of your journey and how it has led you to where you are today? I started as a software engineer. I built video games and robots. Uh, I was very competitive. So I participated in a lot of speed programming competitions like the kinds that we see within ACM. I participated in robotics competitions and I even took the building video games competitively. So when I heard that there is a experimental gameplay project thesis at Carnegie Mellon where they built 50 games in 50 weeks, I thought, oh, that sounds awesome. If they can do it, I can do it too. And so I went about and, and did that myself in high school. When I went to college, I joined USC specifically because at the time USC was one of three schools that had game design degrees. And so I, I majored in joint computer science and game design. And USC happened to have the best program in game design for undergraduate. I learned very quickly that I could hire artists and make the games that I was already building look professional. And so in my freshman year, I built a game studio and I built games and sold them to Konami. This was between 2008, 2011, right when Zynga is hitting it big. Partway through that, I built a second company in my sophomore year to build software as a service for supporting mobile applications and video games for authentication and social integrations. At the peak of the bubble, I decided that it was a good time to jump ship. So I sold my half of the second company and joined Google. At Google, I led social integrations for YouTube, specifically building the features that make videos go viral. I also led a strategic innovation team where I worked with every product area at Google to identify the critical technologies in their industry that would be emergent in the next two, three, seven, ten 10 years, and then invest in building and developing those technologies. And where we did build them and deploy them and they were publicly visible, we would patent them. So in my time at Google, I wrote about 450 patents. On the social integration space for YouTube, the work that I did in this space increased the daily active usership, new daily users that are coming in by an order of magnitude about 100 million per day. I did that largely through a wide range of experiments, reverse engineering social networks like Facebook and others, and changing the way that YouTube integrated with those platforms. Did you always have the goal of making videos viral or did you just stumble upon this and realize you had the skills to do it and then you learned that that was going to be very valuable to Google and YouTube? I had a lot of experience having built platforms for making video games and making apps go viral. So when I joined the YouTube team, I at some point saw the metrics for how we were converting users through the social platforms and recognized, you know, there's a big gap here. I could close that gap pretty quickly. 
I'd like to dig in a little bit more about one of your first startups, Red Jello Game Studio. So you created this when you were still a student and the startup was profitable, sold multiple yeah. mobile and social games to video game publishers. So I guess two questions I have on that. One is what inspired you to create this startup and what did you learn from it? Like that's one question. Second one is how did you manage to actually be a university student and get by when clearly you were very busy setting up and running new ventures? When I came to USC, I was already knocking out games quickly. But what changed was I realized I could stand outside the art school and I could look for students with anime drawings on their binders and I could hire them and get professional looking video game art. And so now all of a sudden I could make these video games that looked very professional. I was the only software engineer when I built that company. I had about 12 employees that were all artists and composers. We recognized a niche within the video game industry. These companies have budgets they're trying to spend. If they don't spend it, they lose it. And so they frequently reach out to me and say, hey, we're at the end of our quarter. We're at the end of this cycle. We need to build a game and deploy it in two weeks time. And we've got like 80 grand to build it in two weeks. And I'm there saying, I can do that. I can build you a high quality game in two weeks and launch it. And so that was the niche that I filled. With respect to how I balanced my schoolwork, I was building two different companies at the same time while in school. So I was working about 100 hours a week. Wherever possible, I would turn in the things that I built and sold as my school projects. So for example, the first patent I wrote also was my technical paper for my English class. And so very much it was the companies matter more than the schoolwork does. At night, I would fall out of my chair and fall asleep and sleep on the floor. In the morning, I would pull the keyboard down and get started again. Eventually, I got smart and I drug my mattress off of my bed and put it under my desk so that when I would fall asleep out of exhaustion, I would land on the mattress and sleep on the mattress instead of sleeping on the floor. When I decided to join Google, I saw it as almost vacation. I anticipated, oh, they only want me to work 40 hours a week instead of 100 this is going to be like retirement. And that was definitely my first thought going into it. But it turns out I'm not very good at scaling down in that respect. So I found a lot of interesting outlets within Google to scale myself. Okay, Justin, we've talked about Google and YouTube. Now I want to spend a, a bit of time on Tesla and these secret projects that you worked on, or I don't know if you can even tell us about those secret projects, but maybe you can tell us something about the work you did and you're proud of. Absolutely. I can't speak to the secret project specifically, but many of the things that we were building did launch and they're not secrets anymore. We built some cool things. For example, we brought karaoke into the Tesla cars, which is a ton of fun. Turn on autopilot, let the car drive itself down the highway and build karaoke. It is for the writers, not the driver. We also built other very cool integrations in the media space, such as bringing theater mode into the car with Netflix and YouTube, etc. So let's take a look back to your earlier education and some of the inspiration behind you know how you became a software engineer you probably could have been a few things you probably could have been a few other types of engineers and i'm wondering if speed had anything to do with it given how clearly you've worked at quite some pace for a long time absolutely and here i knew i wanted to be an engineer i love building things and inventing things like everyone else i grew up with legos and I chose software engineering very intentionally. I learned that software engineering is a discipline where you can practice quickly. Many other engineering disciplines, it can take hours, months, days, years 
to invent something, put it in production, test it, see the results, and then do that second iteration. But with software engineering, I can do it in seconds. And that is a tremendous advantage within software engineering over other disciplines. You can practice faster, and therefore you can get really, really good at it much more quickly. So I leaned into that very heavily, and that's how I ended up as a software engineer. So with your background in all things tech and Silicon Valley, you also could have gone many directions after your experience at Tesla and Google. What attracted you to BP? What do you hope to achieve in your new role as VP of incubation? I love chasing innovation and scaling innovation specifically. So before talking about why I joined BP, I'm going to describe why I joined Tesla. I was looking for three key criteria. First, a scrappy environment, because I believe that in scrappy environments, there's low friction for executing on the innovation. Good ideas are a dime a dozen. They hold no weight. What really matters is when you take that innovation into production and you get the insights for that next iteration. The second piece was owning the platform. Where at Google and specifically YouTube, when we built the YouTube app, we had to play by the same rules that every other third party does when they're building mobile applications. So you didn't really own the entire stack of technology, and that created a limit for what kinds of things could be invented. With Tesla, they own the whole stack top to bottom. We can make changes to the operating system as needed. They even pour their own alloys in the car. You also have total control over the environment that the user is sitting in. Whereas with a mobile phone, who knows where that user is sitting and whether headphones are appropriate or speakers, or this is going to broadcast over the intercom. So the third thing that was very critical for joining Tesla was that the auto industry was excruciatingly slow. Innovation can be measured by the pace of iteration, how quickly we have an idea and take that idea into production, get insights from it, and then iterate on the next idea. In the software industry, we see iteration cycles that are usually on the order of magnitude of six to nine months. Some large-scale companies that invest heavily in experimentation can bring that iteration cycle down to two or four weeks. Some have gotten it as close to 48 hours. For example, at YouTube, I worked hard on trying to bring that innovation cycle down to 48 hours. The auto industry operates on about a four-year innovation cycle. So from the time that a new idea comes into fruition to when it hits production and someone can get metrics and insights about that idea to build that next iteration on it, you have a four-year window, largely because the auto industry doesn't use software updates at all. And so you have to change things in the factory. You have to change the cars that are being built to deploy the new innovation. So I saw this as a tremendous opportunity, and there's a ton of headroom here to scale innovation to make it move faster. BP checks these boxes for me. Within incubation, where I lead incubation and I'm building teams, I can build the scrappy environments and I can create the low friction areas where we can make innovation happen faster and more efficiently. With respect to owning the stack, we're building whole companies from the ground up. And so we get to own the stack, not just from a technology perspective, but also from the business model perspective. And so we can create innovation in all kinds of places. Again, not just technology, but also in finance and commercial terms, distribution strategy. And then from the perspective of industry, the energy industry is even slower than the auto industry, and I love it, right? We're looking at an industry where your iteration cycle is measured in decades instead of measured in years. This is fantastic because there's so much opportunity here to drive innovation. The energy industry and many others have been very underserved by software so far. And so the opportunity space here is tremendous. So in my team, we talk a lot about failing forward. 
experimenting, taking measured risks, learning and growing. What is your perspective on failing? And do you have any different perspective on failing in the energy industry versus any other industry that you've worked in? Is it more urgent to not fail in energy, for example, given all the intense scrutiny um, we're under right now? That's a really good question. Failure is an important tool for innovation. If we build in the infrastructure first so that we can make failure safe, then we can lower the risk of failure or lower the impact when failure does occur. And specifically, for example, we can make it safe in, in many ways. We can make it safe from a human and health and safety perspective. We can also make it safe from a financial perspective and a speed perspective. We can make it so that we can fail more quickly. And by investing in infrastructure that helps us fail more quickly, we lose less opportunity cost when we do fail. Similarly, we can make it so that we can invest in areas more efficiently so that when we do fail with those innovations, that it doesn't cost us as much. Great. And I guess a follow up on that. What is your biggest frustration, if you have any, and how have you coped with it or them? I don't really look at these as uh, frustrations. I look at them as opportunity, right? Where we see, for example, consensus-driven decision-making within organizations. This happens within BP, but it's not unique within BP. It happens all over the place. And so here I see these as opportunities where if we can close the gap or make that piece of innovation have less friction, we can really scale up the innovation that's occurring. I think of it from the perspective of it's not about this one innovation happening. It's about how do we scale innovation? How do we do it in mass? And I think it's a really great point to kind of switch the narrative away from frustration to opportunity, because if there weren't any frustrations, there wouldn't be these opportunities. And that's what we're all after in the innovation space. Exactly. So final question, three part question. We like to end our podcasts with a quick fire round of lighter questions. So the first one is, what is an organization that inspires you for their work in innovation? I've been inspired definitely by Tesla and specifically in their ability to build that infrastructure that makes it so that they can fail safely and they can fail efficiently. I'll give you an example. When building up the Model 3 line, Tesla built a tent and they built an entire car manufacturing line in a tent and it's largely run by humans and not automation. And that's awesome because they were able to use this tent as a experimentation playground. They could experiment with new things to evolve the process of manufacturing cars at a scale where you can get the interesting insights without disrupting the main line. It's also a really good example of where they've built the infrastructure that's necessary to support innovation and take what is their core business model and innovate on that core business model constantly. Cool. Second, fire round question. What's one of your other passions? Although we've talked about a number of your passions, but in any case, would you ever start a business in that other passion area? Well, I like video games. I love rule-based systems. I'm a rules lawyer, a munchkin. So I like taking them and breaking them down and finding ways to not break the rules, play within them, but do things that aren't expected by the people who wrote the rules. And so I love exploiting those kinds of systems. I also like working with legal teams for similar reasons. I did build a company in this space and it was a ton of fun. I would never build a company in the game industry again. I think that the game industry is too low barrier to entry. Because it's low barrier to entry, we see a lot of competition in that space. And as a result, your success is largely random as opposed to being something that's within the creator's control. One of the reasons I like BP though, is because it is such a high barrier to entry industry. And when I'm building companies and when I'm building technology, I want to play in the high barrier to entry spaces, not in the low barrier to entry spaces. 
Okay, final question. We always appreciate a good book or film recommendation if you have one. With respect to learning about innovation, I think that books are very poor mediums. They are archaic technology themselves that convey information inefficiently. For example, books are inherently monologues, and monologues are very poor mechanisms for conveying information or teaching people things. I think that to learn how to do innovation, you shouldn't be sourcing from books or movies or podcasts. Innovation is inherently about invention. It's something you have to get better at through practice, like riding a bicycle. You'll never learn how to ride a bicycle by reading books. And similarly, to scale innovation, you have to do it through practice. So here, instead of looking for awesome books, I would encourage people to look for awesome problems and to be problem forward, find those desperate customers, solve their problem better, looking for problems that you can apply an existing solution to. And so I love personally learning about really interesting problems. Great answer. I love that. Justin, thank you so much for your time. I'll have to do it again sometime in a few months, see, see where you are. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Appreciate it.